I want to talk with us this morning about awe. A-W-E, awe. Most of us live on too little awe. Most of us would do well to understand awe, to be exposed to awe, even to be filled with awe. Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it's page 18 in your black journals. It says, and awe came upon every soul. Think about that. Awe, it didn't just come and go. It came upon, lingered, awe. Not just on a few, awe came upon every soul. Lord, I want to be part of that church. I want that to be my experience with you. Awe. As I thought about this, my first memory of awe happened to me when I was standing at the front of a uh, church building and uh, on the one side of me was my best man. And on the other side uh, was the pastor. And the doors opened, and Sherry starts walking toward me. The only word I'm telling you that does that justice was awe. Awe is an emotional response that involves three Forces, respect, dread, and wonder. If any of those three are not present, you don't have awe. In that moment, I had all three. I had utmost respect for the woman who was walking toward me. And I was in no way in dread of her. Let me set that record straight. But the whole vastness of marriage. I suddenly went from thinking, I've got this, to thinking, Fred, you are in way over your head. And there's no way out of this. There was a, 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 a dread in the sense of, of a healthy fear of the unknown realm of marriage and my duty as a husband to this woman who was about to hopefully say yes to me. And, and then the third aspect of wonder. I, I was wide-eyed wonder. It was like, whoa. I was totally overwhelmed and all three of those elements, respect, dread, and wonder, filled me. Now, here in the early church, awe came upon every soul. It wasn't uh, 20% or 70%, 80%, 90%, every soul had awe. Now, there was a respect, which means a, 
a predisposition that's positive. They wanted the presence of God. So there was that respect, that, 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 uh, that inclination to honor and give preference to the presence of God among them. There was a dread because they knew he could take them out at any moment. They were in the presence of infinitely superior greatness. And wonder, anything can happen because God's presence is here with us. So all three of those aspects were true of the early church. Now these last six verses of Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, capture, and really, you could, I could literally preach an entire year on these six verses. But in many ways, the key to these six verses is verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. The transformation that took place in the early church could only be explained by awe. It's the awe of God's presence among them that radically changed everything. Now, before we look at this in detail, I just want to give some other uh, references. Um, I remember watching Michael Jordan play down at the Omni, and... um, to see him at his peak uh, playing basketball, I, I would have said then, and I'm sure I did, this is awesome. But really, it doesn't apply because there was certainly respect and there was wonder. How can any human being play basketball like that? But there was no dread. I wasn't in dread of, of Michael Jordan. So really, the three have to be present. The birth of my children. Um, there was respect for what Sherry was going through in, in their birth, and there was wonder, the wonder of new life, but there was no dread. Now, maybe for Sherry there was dread, but for me, it was, it was that, that was, so, so as awesome as that was, that really doesn't quite qual- qualify. Um, I, there was a guy here at the previous service who had on the coolest pair of, of new footwear. Uh, they, were, they were Nikes, and they were, I mean, we could say awesome. I respected them. It, it brought a sense of wonder, but there was no dread. You see what I'm saying? All three have to be present for there t- to be awe. Uh, I've been in my life, uh, the places I've been able to go and see with my own eyes brought me to, to respect and wonder, but I wasn't in dread of those moments. Or, or, or I've been swimming and I thought I saw a fin coming at me. Now there was dread. Um, I may have uh, messed my pants. But, but, but there was no respect. It wasn't, I wasn't favorable toward what was happening. You see what I'm saying? So there's moments that we call awe that are really not. They qualify in a couple points, but not all three. But in the presence of God, when God's showing off his glory, his majesty, his supremacy among us, it's awesome. I've been with people who are extremely wealthy. They could never say to their children, we can't afford that. 
And I've, I've respected it, and I've had a, t- a sense of wonder, but the, the, the dread was not there. But in the greatness of God's presence, it's fair to say alone, as the only place, true awe is a factor. And here, awe was present. But look at how this verse continues. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, so often, uh, we tend to lump signs and wonders as, as if it's one thing. It's not one thing. Signs literally means supernatural activity. Supernatural activity, that's signs. Wonder is our response to supernatural activity. It's what happens to us. It brings wonder. It's one of the elements of awe. When, when God supernaturally penetrates our, our everyday experience, with his, with his wonder and, and his sign, his, his miracle presence. But here again, it, these miracles are not uh, anomalies. It says many signs, many. It became the norm of the early church. You cannot read the book of Acts and say uh, miracles are rare occurrences. They became consistent, always miraculous, always followed by wonder. Ooh, wow, look at what God did. But, but consistent, regular, we would even say everyday occurrences. It became the norm of the early church, and we're going to see this as we continue through the book of Acts. But the last three words of verse 43 uh, to this moment, I preached this message twice today already, but these three still shake me. And awe came upon every soul, and signs and wonders were done through the apostles. I I really wish this said, um, signs and wonders were being done by God. That would be easy for me to handle. Okay, God's doing signs and wonders. But that's not what it says. Obviously it's God, obviously he's the one doing it. I'm not trying to uh, take any credit away from him, but that's not what it says. It says, through the apostles. Now, what this is saying is, God intends to stretch forth his supernatural hand through you and me. This is the normal church. Now you may say, well, I'm not an apostle. Well, I'm not either, but they were just guys. They were called and they were devoted and set apart, but so are you. 
You and I are the saints. They were saints. You and I are Christ's servants. They were Christ's servants. And God, through you, wants to stretch forth his hand and and work through you to bring signs and wonders into your world. We're going to see this unfold further through the book of Acts. Lord, do it here. Do it in my life. Stretch forth your hand through me to bring signs of supernatural activity into our day-to-day lives. Do it through us corporately. In Jesus' name. Now, this awe, awe changes things. Awe changes everything. Now, we're going to see three levels of change. First, verse 42 changed the disciples themselves. We would say awe changes us. Look at the change that took place in the disciples, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Now, there are four areas here, but the four, frankly, can distract from the main point. The main point is these cowards are now fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. They are devoted. This is not self-will. This is not willpower. This is an inner transformation that resulted in a radical obedience to God. Because it's true of all of them. Again, this became the the norm of the early church. They were all, all of them, had this level of Navy SEAL commitment. That same radical commitment that Jesus called for. We looked at it a month ago before we began the book of Acts. We saw the seven costs of discipleship that Jesus gave his disciples. And now it was never fulfilled during Jesus' life. But all seven of them are fulfilled right here in this passage. They're being fulfilled. And God, in the same way, wants to transform my life and your life by his awe that will change you from the inside out. So it's not a matter of you having to try harder as a follower of Christ, but but the awe, the exposure to the miracle presence of God in our everyday lives will make us fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, there are are four areas. It says in sequence here, it says the first thing they devoted themselves to is the apostles' teaching. Now here again, I got to say, I I wish it was they devoted themselves to Bible teaching. That would be easy to handle. Okay, good. We're, we're, We're all Bible students. Let's devote to the Bible teaching. That's not what it says. Now, obviously, the disciples didn't teach out of a, the, 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 the latest news feed. They taught the Bible. But it's, 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 it says, no, literally, what it's saying is they devoted themselves to apostolic teaching, which gives a different flavor to it. Apostolic teaching is foundational teaching. 
And, and new Christians don't need a full explanation of, 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 the, of the elaborate intricacies of theology. They need foundational teaching to build their lives on. And that's what they devoted themselves to, foundational teaching. The second one is almost surprising that it was so high on the list. And the fellowship. The early church was instantly transformed to where they not only loved each other, they liked each other. And they, they protected each other. And the unity of the fellowship was more important than what political party you're part of or, or, or any of the other things that often unites people. It, it was the fellowship. They were devoted to it and they wouldn't let anything interfere with their love for one another. And then to the breaking of bread. Now this is corporate worship. In the early church, the phrase breaking of bread means communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus, and it's repeated in the Gospels, he took bread and broke it and, and gave thanks and, and gave it to the disciples, said, this is my body. The breaking of bread became a, a little cliche or a catchphrase that, that meant communion. They devoted themselves to worship, to sharing communion consistently together. And then the last one, to the prayers, and, and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, <clears throat> again, it doesn't say they devoted themselves to prayer. If it said they devoted themselves to prayer, we could uh, deduce that that meant that they each prayed privately, but that's not what it says. The prayers means explicitly corporate prayer. Amen. Corporate prayer. They devoted themselves to times of corporate prayer. Now, how in the world could uh, 3,000 vigilante uh, people suddenly all get on the same wavelength and enter into that level of devotion? Because they were all exposed to the awe of God's presence. It changed them from the inside out. Hallelujah. The second change we come to here in verse 44 and 45 is the change that took place in their relationship with each other. And this is radical. Look at this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45 and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Oh, you've got a medical bill you can't uh, pay? Let me sell my car. Can you imagine? What's gotten into them? They were exposed to the awe of God's presence, and it changed their relationships with each other but it does not end in the house. Not only uh, did, did the awe of God change them internally and, and in community with each other within the church, look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, stop there a second. All the people is clearly referring to the unbelievers around them. This is not just the church. All the people means the neighborhood, uh, uh, the sports teams, uh, the business community, um, 
the neighborhood. They had favor with unbelievers around them. And look at what happens next. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This verse always, it's got a soft spot in my heart. When I came here to Pastor Liberal Alliance Church 32 years ago with a dark brown hair <laughs> and more ambition than I probably should have had, God gave me this verse to pray. Pray for Liberal Alliance Church. I got all our elders praying this verse. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I thought, I want to be part of that church. How many of you would like to be part of that church? That the Lord adds to the number day by day those who are being saved. And an elder at the time said to me, Fred, that's a big prayer because we don't see too many people get saved here in our church. I took that as a challenge. It didn't dissuade me at all. I thought, okay, good. Things are going to change. And so I prayed for this. I've, I've prayed 32 years for this, and we've seen. In fact, we went a, 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 um, a year. We've gone several years where we've seen people saved every day. It's true. We have. Yeah, Hallelujah. But it wasn't until recently that I saw the first half of verse 47. Without the first half, you're really not going to have the second half. The first half of the verse says, having favor with all the people. And now I'm praying more the whole verse rather than, than the end of verse 47. We, Lord, want favor with all the people and that you would add to the church day by day those who are being saved. Lord, give us favor with all the people, with our neighbors, Lord. Give us favor. I want to pause at this moment and tell you, I want to read from an article I have in my hands it's written by, and, and this is a new phrase to me and might be to you, an awe scientist. There is, it was started 17 years ago, the, 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 the science of awe science. They've studied the effect of awe on people, on groups of people. And, and the impact is significant. Now, this article is entitled, Eight Reasons Why Awe Makes Your Life Better. Eight reasons. Number one, it increases your mental attitude. Two, it increases your physical health. Now, let me explain this just briefly. It, it lowers your interleukin. Interleukin is basically a physiological metric that can scientifically be shown that is basically your stress level. Um, healthy people 
Healthy people who do not have joint pain, don't have fibromyalgia, uh, don't have stress-induced migraines and other things, uh, they're, they're, uh, this interleukin level is six or lower. But what they found is the only antidote that works is awe. Awe will physiologically lower your interleukin. It can take it from six to five to four to three to two. Now, think about this. It just makes sense. If you are totally stressed out and, and you're, you're, you feel like your life is threatened, your life is coming apart at the seams, there's no hope, you're financially stuck, uh, and, and whatever it is that, that is adding to your stress level, if you encounter the living God who cannot be shaken, it will reposition your whole mental framework so that you now are able to see that while your, your problems are still there, they are not insurmountable because you're now in the presence of an awesome God who is greater than your circumstances. It only makes sense. Number three, it helps your good judgment and critical thinking. Four, it makes you less materialistic. Five, more generous. Six, more humble. Seven, more respectful toward fellow human beings. And eight, it increases your creativity and your capacity. All eight are in the end of Acts chapter two. That's what's happening. Generosity, respect for people. Why do they have favor with all people? Because they have awe of God and their respect for others has increased, so their respect for them has increased. It just makes sense. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was, of all things, it was Albert Einstein who said, one who cannot pause to wonder is as good as dead. Do you pause often enough to wonder? Do you encounter the supernatural hand of God in your everyday life frequently enough? Has it become for you a new normal? We overuse that phrase these days, the new normal. Frankly, I'm so sick of hearing about the new normal. Uh, and, and it can be a sociological manipulation. Basically, just get used to it. Well, there's a lot of things that are going on around me that I'm never gonna get used to. Don't tell me this is the new normal. I'm not gonna submit to that. And we need to, to deal with, with that manipulation that's going on socially around us in these days. Amen? Amen? But the first time I heard that phrase, the new normal, it wasn't from a person, it wasn't from a news article, it was from God. First time I ever heard it. I never heard it before. It was seven years ago, our daughter got cancer. Inoperable, aggressive. It already grew around the blood vessels surrounding her heart. It had already busted a rib. Inoperable. We had no idea how this thing was gonna play out. 
And I preached here on a Sunday. I went down to the airport, got on a plane, flew to Dallas where she was being treated. I got off the plane and walking down, whatever that thing's called, you know, when you get off the plane, you don't go right into the terminal. There's like that uh, 20 yard thing <laughs> that shoots out like a caterpillar and uh, there's an overhang around the, the plane. You know what I'm, a, a, a jetway. I should have asked you ahead of time. I was walking down a jetway in Dallas. And the Holy Spirit said to me, makes me cry thinking about it. He said, this is the new normal. Let me tell you what that meant. It set me free. I'm going to tell you why. When the Holy Spirit said, this is the new normal, I never heard that. Those words, the new normal. But it made perfect sense when he said it. What it meant was, don't compare today with yesterday. Don't complain how things are. Because I am with you now. It set me free. And I knew, and, and when God told me this is the new normal, it meant I'm with you. That word of God set me free. It changed everything for the next year of my life. Because God said to me, this is the new normal. There was no manipulation. Do you see what I'm saying? He met me. He met me. In that mess, God delivered me. I'm not, I, I sincerely don't think I ever complained from that day forward. Not about what, what Andrea went through. I saw horrible things that our daughter had to go through. But I don't think I ever complained because God was with me. His awe of that word and the promise of it repositioned everything in me. And brothers and sisters, as a church, we welcome the hand, the supernatural hand of God here among us. We want God to make every day his miraculous manifestations. Not for the sake of gimmicks or tricks or to, that we would ever be prideful of. Do you feel any pride that I have over my response to Andrea? No. I'm humbled. I'm grateful. God came to me. Do you, do you hear me telling you about how great I am? No. I'm not telling you how great. I'm telling you how great God is. The key to encountering the awe supernatural hand of God is to open up to God our weak places, our messes, our needs, and quit complaining 
that we're not like that other person. We're not supposed to be. God wants to meet you in what you're facing. And he wants to show himself mighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me say it again. The person who cannot pause to wonder is as good as dead. I'm inviting you to pause more in the presence of our God. To spend more time in his word. To allow God to make what this incredible six verses as normal for us as it was for them. The norm is the awe of God. Is there ever a day he's not awesome? Is there ever a day God is not full of awe? Is there ever a day when God quits talking? That That he fails to show himself? Of course not. Oh, we're talking every day, every day. Is there ever a day when God wants to stop transforming your heart? Has he given up on any of us? Of course not. Okay, you're not a Navy SEAL committed follower of Christ today. Wait till tomorrow. He's got his eyes on you. You're in his crosshairs. He's targeted you to transform your life from the inside out. No, you don't have to try harder. You need an encounter with him. Does God want to make this community and this room and and all those watching today, does God want to make this community as radically committed to the unity as the early church was? Of course, he does. Do it, Lord. Uh, and for us to become as radically, extraordinarily generous as they were? Yes, do it here, Lord. Do it here. Do it here. Does he want to give us such a respect for the others around us, our neighbors, so that in response we have favor with all people? Yes, he does. Do it here, Lord. And does he want to add to our Church, day by day, those who are being saved, yes, Lord, do it here. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we come under your word, and we want your awe to come upon us as your people, that your awe would come upon every one of us, that the awe of your revealed, tangible, manifested presence would be as dynamically at work inside us as it was inside the early church, that the manifesting presence of God would be just as real among us corporately, 
and beyond ourselves, Father. We ask you this morning to do something so supernatural that those around us would see what is with that people. They have respect for me greater than anything I've ever seen. And Lord, that you would, as you let your light so shine through us, that you would make this a place where you add to us day by day those who are being saved. We pray it. Okay, I was about to say the end of the prayer. You know how that one goes. But would you just, I want to lead you in a prayer first. I want to give you an opportunity to open up your weakness right now in your life, your weakness, the thing you complain about, the thing that, that, that depresses you. I, want you. I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer, to open that, to give Jesus access to that area of need, that mess in your life. Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Father God, I give you access to my mess, to my weakness, to my stress points. I open them up to you right now in Jesus' name. Stretch forth your supernatural hand and show your miraculous power in my life. Meet me at my point of need in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, just be seated for a moment, please. It's kind of gross when the preacher has to blow his nose. Okay, hallelujah. I did turn my mic off. Give me a little credit on that one. Yesterday ended our 21-day breakthrough fast. And um, I personally recorded 49 specific answers to prayer. I take no credit for that. That's not to my uh, credit, but I give credit to the Lord. And it has been wonderful to hear so many new people that have never fasted before, have fasted in various ways, and uh, we give God the glory for that. We ended, uh, we kind of culminated, even though we had one day of fasting left, but Friday night we had a three-hour prayer meeting here that was so wonderful. God spoke to us. Uh, he, there was such a flow that uh, we've made a decision, and you can mark this down, Friday, March 12th, we're going to have a 12-hour night of prayer from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., 12 hours of prayer together. And I invite you right now, March 12th, and you can remember 12 and 12 hours. Now, it's not, you don't have to sign on for all 12 hours. Come uh, when the Lord tells you to come. But there I know some of you are already licking your chops saying, oh man, 12 hours, I'm, I'm there, I'm all over that. Uh, feel free to join with us. God is doing something significant among us with this church planting. And you may have heard about it and wonder, well, why, why are we doing this? Well, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And the best way, the most effective way of making disciples is church planting. That's why we're doing it. It's to fulfill what Jesus said. It's all about making disciples. 
where are we doing it? Some of you have said, well, where? Well, five locations that we've targeted. Um, uh, Grayson, Johns Creek, Decatur, um, Gainesville, and Stone Mountain. Each have their own distinct um, vibe, their own distinct culture, and, um, and we believe God is leading us, by the grace of God, to plant five churches in the next five years. We'll see. Uh, we're following his lead. We're not going to force anything to happen, but pray with us. And next Sunday at 1215 in the lower level, we're going to be having an interested persons meeting. Um, so keep that in mind. And you, you might even be thinking, well, what's the strategy? We have three strategies, and it's very, they all make perfect sense. First, we're going to prayer drive each of the five locations. A second, we're going to uh, start life groups in each of the five locations with leaders from our church. And a third, we're going to be going door to door in each of those locations to share Christ and to test the soil, so to speak. So if any of that strikes a chord in you, I encourage you to uh, plan to be with us next week. Now, There is in my heart today a lament that I just need to be honest about. It's a lament for our nation and abortion. Uh, This weekend is Sanctity of Life weekend. It... um, is geared this weekend because many years ago uh, a horrible Supreme Court decision called Roe v. Wade uh, was endorsed. I encourage us all to pray for our uh, sitting president, for us to pray righteousness, godly counsel. Please don't curse him. Uh, You're only going to make things worse. Um... But um, we must depart from him on his celebration of that decision this weekend. Uh, We as believers do not celebrate this. And uh, I, I just have to lead us in prayer. Father God, on behalf of our nation, we are sorry. Uh, We repent of this scourge. And we humble ourselves this morning and pour out our sorrow to you. And we pray in wrath, remember mercy. Father, we do bless President Biden. We bless uh, Vice President Harris. Uh, We bless their cabinet. And we pray, Father, for righteousness to prevail, uh, for godly counsel to surround them, and with a host of decisions that they're making, we pray that you would restrain evil in our nation. And Lord, we pray that you would protect innocence. We make this prayer in the name of the Lord our God and in the name of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, This moment certainly deserved a lot more than that. But 
that moment was not token. And God knows our hearts. Let's stand together. I thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord uh, in your financial gifts. Um, I'm pleased to announce that uh, this year over last, we are receiving $2,000 a, a month more than we did last year. So even during COVID and layoffs and all that, uh, God is, is, is blessing. Thank you for your faithfulness. And um, this year, including some gifts that were given directly, not necessarily through our church, but that we know of, we as a congregation have given $80,000 more this year to missions than a year ago. $80,000 more. <laughs> Hallelujah. We said this is why we wanted to get out of debt, and by the grace of God, we're doing it. So praise the Lord. Uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and let's, uh, as we sing together, and then we are dismissed.